0: Amen. Well, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that my voice is even quieter than usual, and so please forgive me if I drink a ton of water during this. Uh, Elena started off with the, with the whatever respiratory thing. Um, we went to the doctor, it's not COVID, but um, if I'm a little standoffish, that's why. Um, but I still have the linger effect, lingering effect of just not being able to talk much. So some of you are like, yeah, this is great. This is why I came today. Um, um, but speaking of silly things like that, because we like to give each other a hard time, um, you know, we have, we have currently four pastors, and um, you probably, I like, just have to imagine, you've noticed that one of us is just far more of a pretty boy than the others. Wow. Um, wow, wow. Do you hear anything right now? <laughs> uh, so, so one of, one of us... One of us, and and like, I take offense to this because I think I'm beautiful, but you know, um, one of us is much more of a self-professed pretty boy, um, so to speak. Uh, But anyways, so this week, uh, not to name any names, but Reggie sent a message to the elders. And... uh, Reggie sends this message, and so I was kind of out of the loop, you know last week. Uh, my family, my dad got a house. we were, we were down with our fam- like big family in the keys, catching some lobster. Um, highly successful, just going to add that, but you know um, so thank you for the, the weekend off. But um, while I was out, um, I, I fell out of loop with a lot of things like communication and such, but uh, so I look at my phone one day and there's a message, a series of messages, and the elders have like this little group chat thing, and um, Reggie sends a message that was something to the effect of like, had to look fresh, start over for the fall kind of thing, like what? And then it said like, there's a picture, but I didn't open it yet, so I'm just seeing like the the preview of everything. And there's a subsequent message before I can see the picture that something like his barber messed up. And I've got to tell you, I know Reggie's barber. I've gone to that barber twice. The first time, was like, I was terrified. Um, I just get really scared with haircuts. It's a scary thing. My mom cut my hair most of my life, and so it's just this weird thing. Like, it feels really intimate. Like, oh, you're touching my head. Like, I don't know. So I've gone to this guy one time, the first time, and it turned out okay. Like, I, I had been coached on, like, here are the things you need to say and do. Like, I didn't know barbershop etiquette and all this stuff. And so um, that was just stressful, but it turned out okay. I got my hair cut. Leland got his hair cut. And I'm like, hey, we'll do this again. This is pretty cheap. I like this. So uh, we went the second time. And the second time, the guy acted like he totally knew me and remembered everything. And so he's like, like last time, right? And I was like, you remember last time? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make you look good. I was like, okay, like, I'll trust you, I don't know, it was, it, his idea of look good and mine are just different, you know, and that's okay, that's, that's all right, so when Reggie sends this message, and he's like, fresh look for the fall, my barber messed up, I'm in the thing, like, oh, should have told him, I don't know, <laughs> so then I see the picture when I open it up, and I'm like, this is bad, This is, this is not good, like, he's Bicked, completely bald. And if you saw Reggie, you're like, okay, what? Well, something's not adding up here. So, he's like completely bald. I'm like, this is this is not good. So, I'm telling him like, hey, dude, just like seek the solace of your wife, Jessica. And he responds almost mean. is like, she's treating me like a street dog. I'm like, <laughs> this is this is really bad. This is not good at all. And so, um, anyway. I, I, he, he then responds and me, he's like, did anybody zoom zoom, like actually look at the picture? I'm like, I didn't like it the first time, like I'm not going to come back and look at it. But um, some of the other guys were a little more courageous than I am and, and pointed out this is apparently a filter, like an app filter, and so you can make yourself look bald. I was like, oh, that's a relief and terrifying at the same time. Um, but it's like, if I would have actually looked at it, I would have I really understood and known what was going on if I would have like really looked at it. Um, and, and this week, as I've been wrestling with this text that we're in in Galatians, um, I, I think like that's really at the heart of this, is if you really look at what you should be looking at, then you wouldn't be deceived. You, you would actually know what your eyes should be fixed on. Um, but too often, we get moved by something, like, there's a moving experience, there's something moving that captures our attention and makes us lose focus on what we should be looking at. And that's what's happening in this text today. This is what was happening in the churches of Galatia as Paul was writing to them. And so we're gonna be in Galatians chapter three, starting the chapter today. If you wanna make your copy of scripture ready with me. Galatians chapter three. And we're gonna be wrestling with this idea of something capturing our focus, our sight, that should not. And then how do we remedy that? So as, you, as you're kind of making your way there, a quick recap of where we're at. Paul is writing as an apostle about 2,000 years ago to a group of churches in Galatia that he helped start um, by preaching the gospel, the good news that God so loves this world that in spite of its brokenness, he said, I'll take your punishment on myself. He sent the Son of God, Jesus, to take on humanity and now fully God and fully human. He bore the weight of our sin and our shame, having lived a perfect life, fully righteous, and then died the death that you and I deserve on a cross. But it didn't end there. He rose again victorious over sin and death itself. On the third day, he came back to life and is offering us life everlasting with him. He is the first fruit and we are to follow. And so now we get to walk as followers of Christ, his family, his church, his people, his gathered people, church means gathering or assembly of called out ones. We, his people together, we have the privilege of walking in full freedom full forgiveness, life everlasting with him to see his kingdom come to bear on this planet. And he is coming again. The day is coming. Like we celebrate in communion. Jesus said, like, I'm not gonna drink this with you until we drink it anew in the kingdom. And so we drink it now, proclaiming his death, looking back, but looking back so that we can look forward that the day is coming when we're gonna be with our Savior face to face, that he will wipe away the tears from our eyes, Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning. All the former things will have passed away. He's the one who says, look, I am making all things new. And so we live in the joy of that, looking back and looking forward so that now today we have hope and we fix our eyes on him, living for his kingdom, his mission. And so in light of that, Paul is saying, hey, you lost sight of that, guys. Like, you're listening to another gospel. There actually isn't another gospel. And so we walk through how the gospel has to be central, it's reliable, all these different things. And then Josh beautifully took us last week through what is, like, I was honestly just jealous. Like, I love the passage, Josh. Josh got to preach last week, but he brings us to this point where Paul is in this autobiographical portion where he's telling kind of some story of what happened. He went to Jerusalem, and then Peter comes to Antioch, and they have all these interactions where he's like, look, even the highest leadership here, everybody submits to the gospel. You don't mess with the gospel. We all submit to it. It's reliable. Submit your life to it. Hold to it. Contend for it. Don't let it get messed up by all these outside influences. There are people creeping in and they're trying to add to the gospel and say like, yeah, you were saved by grace through faith, but if you really want to be part of the people of God, you need to be circumcised. You need to take on this outward sign of the covenant if you want to be a part of the covenant people of God. They're trying to add the law to the gospel And Paul is saying like, no, 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 you've actually, you have died to the law because you died with Christ who fulfilled the law. And now you're just alive in Christ in this freedom that he has procured for us. So you're free. Don't let them add to it because you're actually messing up. Like what is it that actually saved you? If you add the law, then now you think that you're actually righteous by the law when your righteousness comes from Christ. So don't add to the law, or don't add to the gospel with the law, all these things. So he's in this autobiographical retelling, and last week kind of concluded the portion that what we think is likely how Paul was arguing with Peter. This was his argument to Peter, and he's sharing that with the Galatians so that they would see kind of his logic here, and how he's pushing back on anything that would be added to the law, and so it's all about this salvation and justification entirely by grace through faith. So trust in Christ's work, not your own, no law keeping. That cannot be your salvation. You can't do it. And the beauty of what Josh pointed out is that this changes our motivation for everything that we do. Everything we do, the motivation for all of it is changed because now we don't live for the favor of God. We live out of the favor of God. There's such a huge difference that Josh pointed out with that whole idea of starting point, that you don't live for the favor of God, you live out of the favor of God, that you have the favor of God, the grace of God freely, and so in that freedom that he freely gives you grace, he gives you favor, you did not deserve it, you live out of that into what he has called you to, into these good works and all of the things that glorify God, you don't do those things for the favor of God, you already received it freely. So that culminates so beautifully, personally, For Paul, like if you need a life verse, as people call it, like Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It becomes so deeply personal. I don't live for the favor of God. I live out of the favor of God. I don't live anymore. It's just Christ who lives in me. I'm free. I'm not, I'm not scurrying to be a better person. I'm not trying my best to, to tip the scale of what I do that's good or bad. No, 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 no. It's already set. I'm free to just live out of the favor of God and not be worried about those things because his righteousness has been given to me. And so having established that we are saved by the gospel, Paul is now going to shift and show that we were saved by the gospel, but now you also grow by the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel of grace. You live in it. You, you grow in it. You die in it. you resurrected in it. You never graduate from the grace of God. It is always with us. And so, 3-1. Here we go, chapter three, starting in the first verse. Paul now makes a shift out of the autobiographical portion and he's now gonna go directly back to the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, exclamation point. (laughs) Okay, all right, you have my attention, Paul. Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Like seriously. We could ask this of us, beloved. What are you doing? Who's cast a spell on you? Kevin, who casts a spell on you that you wake up day after day and somehow think you don't measure up? And you think somehow you've got to do more or like whatever kind of self-condemnation you place on yourself, all these things. Like why do you slip back into that bondage to think that you must do something to earn God's favor? Why do you have, as Paul Tripp calls it, gospel amnesia? That you forget every single day that you live in the grace of God. So live out of it, not for it. Why do you do this? Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before your very eyes. You're like, okay, well, let's think geography lesson. Jesus was crucified just outside of Jerusalem, and this is Galatia, modern-day Turkey. Wait, were they all there somehow? And all we say is like, no, no, no. When the gospel was preached, the same way in which you receive this gospel, the same way in which you see Christ crucified is in the proclaiming, the heralding of the gospel that this story that is told becomes so spellbinding, that it is so encompassing, it is so beautiful, it is so magnificent, it is so glorious to see Jesus, the king of all, exalted on a throne that looks like him crucified on a cross. You say, that is a glorious God, that when it looks like evil and death have won, he actually just victoriously reigned over it all. He said, wow, I have seen Christ crucified. And I know that now, I personally know his death. And now, like Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so Paul is saying, look, you have been bewitched. You Like a spell has been cast on you. Somehow, this dark, magical influence has been put on you to where you would actually shift your eyes from what is the most magnificent and glorious thing to ever capture your attention. Your gaze has somehow pulled you away from that. And you're looking elsewhere, Why? That is foolishness. Why would you look away from this? And so from the get-go, he's like, look, this is the remedy. You're getting deceived, you're getting pulled into all these crazy other things? Turn your eyes back on Christ. See him crucified. That is what will break the spell that has been cast over you to pull your eyes from our crucified Savior, from your salvation, from the gospel itself. Turn your eyes back to this. You must come back to it. So, this begs the question, well, if I need to see Christ crucified, this is what you're starting with, Paul. Like, this is, this is how we break the spell, see Christ crucified as he was already proclaimed to you. Uh, well, wait, why was he on that cross in the first place? Why? Because he had to die to save us. He must die to be our salvation. So you remember 2.21, if you go back the end of the prior chapter that Josh wrapped up with, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Listen to me. If you think that you can in some way be a good enough person to go to heaven, to receive the forgiveness, the freedom, the life from God our Father, from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, if you think you in some way can earn that by doing the right thing, saying the right thing, even saying this magical prayer, whatever it is, if you think that you in some way can get that, then why did Jesus die? You make a mockery of that. He had to die because we cannot save ourselves. He had to die. If we could keep the law in any way to earn our salvation, then why did he die? He died for nothing. It's, it's a rhetorical question. No, you cannot keep it. He had to die. There was no way you could earn the salvation, the love and delight of God. He gave it freely in grace. And so he had to die. And so counter this harmful spell. See, it is greatly moving to see Christ crucified as the preaching of the gospel does. And so he continues on, verse two. I only want to learn this from you. He's starting an argument here. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Answer that. Did you receive the spirit, the evidence of your relationship with God? the one who convicts our hearts of sin, who regenerates our hearts, gives us, in the words of Ezekiel the prophet, as God spoke through him, a heart of flesh and takes away the heart of stone that could feel nothing. Suddenly, our blind, dead eyes are quickened to life and we can see, and we see the beauty of God. And now, in response, that we freely choose him. Yes, I love you. You are glorious. The Spirit does that for us. We were dead in sin, blind. We had no idea that we were even dead. And so if you have the spirit, if you feel the conviction of God saying, no, I'm calling you out of that darkness into marvelous light to reclaim my excellencies, if you have that spirit, wait, 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 now answer this. Did you receive that by works of the law or by believing what you heard? But just hearing the gospel and believing he did die and he rose again and he did that for my salvation because he says he loves me. So which is it? Did you, did you get this? By works of the law? Or, or did you just get this because you believed what you heard? And he continues on. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for Righteousness. That's so why he makes this argument. Why would you hold to what already proved futile? Like You had to abandon the system of self-righteousness in order to freely receive the righteousness of God. In your salvation, for you to take on the righteousness of God that he gives freely at his own cost the life of the son of God who exchanged our sin for his righteousness, for you to receive that, you had to actually let go of the system of self-righteousness, thinking that you could some way somehow deserve this righteousness, this salvation from God, that you could some way make yourself delightful to God. You had to let go of that to receive the righteousness of God so that he would see you and he would delight in you because it's his own righteousness that he has given to you. So now why would you turn back to that approach? That makes no sense, Galatians. That makes no sense, beloved. We would never. Why would we do that? The gospel is that we can rest and we can trust in what Christ accomplished, not what we can. So then why would we turn back to such an approach? And he makes it practical. Okay, so this is what they're actually saying. They, okay, you want to be truly part of the people of God? Well, like we've always been the people of God, us Jews. And one of the, one of the signs, the ways that we actually enter into being the people of God is that we're circumcised on the eighth day, all of us boys, you know, it's a great party. All right. So, is, look, you wanna be actually part of the people of God, that's great, you believe that Jesus died and all that stuff, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But if you wanna be part of the people of God, not like, here's a little bit of the law. You actually need to obey in this way. You need to do this, you need to, to be circumcised, you need to observe the Sabbath, you need to have these festivals, these huge signposts of what it is to be an ethnic Jew. So you gotta do a little bit of this too, okay guys? And Paul's saying, absolutely not, no. So let's talk about that, okay? Circumcision. So that's how you enter into being the people of God. Wait, 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 you remember my last question? Have you received the Spirit? You began by the Spirit, why do you think you need to somehow do something different? Continue in the flesh, also known as the law. So here's the thing, if you receive the Spirit, And that was the mark of entering into the people of God in the new covenant. Like the mark of entering in the covenant, the old covenant, was circumcision. Wait, you already have the mark of entering the new covenant, receiving the spirit. So now what makes you think you need to go back? Why would you need to now have a different mark to enter into the people of God? That that makes no sense, guys. You You can't add this. Like you're already in. If you're already in because you have the spirit of God, why would you add some kind of requirement for how you get in? You're already in. That makes no sense. Don't do that. Don't submit to that. That's insane. The spirit's indwelling marks the entrance into the people of God in this new covenant. And so if you have the spirit, why would you now think that you need circumcision or to obey the law in order to truly enter? You're already in. And so then he begins this case study of Abraham. Like, you remember Abraham? And and this is an appeal to the patriarch. Like this is the forefather of all ethnic Jews. Like God called Abraham or Abram at the time out of the land of Ur and he says, I'm gonna make a nation out of you that's gonna be innumerable. Like you go look at the seashore, see all that sand? Try to count some sand. Can you count it? That's like your descendants. Hey, Abram, look up here. See that? Look at the sky. See all those stars? Start counting them. Can you count all of them? Mm, I can't see that. Well, that's, that's like your descendants, I'm gonna make a nation out of you, and in fact, I'm gonna bless all the nations through you. Wow, and what does Abram do, who later becomes known as Abraham? He believes God, and it is counted to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis fifteen sixteen there, in verse six, just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And so, let's jump into this case study, it's like, okay, let's, let's go to the patriarch. Let's go to the first Jew, so to speak, here. The one that we were all descendants from as ethnic Jews. You want to say that these Gentiles need to add these different things to become part of the ethnic Jews if they really want to be part of the people of God? Well, let's look at what our forefathers said. So here we go. Verse 7. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Huh? So these ethnic Jews, we'll call them the Judaizers, they're calling people to become Jews. That's what they're doing. They're adding this element of the law saying, look, to be part of the real people of God, you need to become like us, the Jews, the true people of God. So if you really want to be part of this, you need to also keep the law as we have kept the law. And so the sign, circumcision, these different things, like you need to do this stuff. And Paul's saying, no, absolutely not. That is not actually what it means to become part of the people of God. So let's listen to our forefather Abraham, of whom we're all descendants, and let's hear what he has to say. He's saying, like, look, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness because he believed, not because he obeyed. Abraham became a forefather to all of the people of God because he believed, not because he obeyed. His righteousness, God's righteousness, was credited to him. Credited, meaning it was given to him. Not that he earned it, it was given to him. It was given to him because of his faith, not because of his obedience. Did Abraham have wonderful faith that resulted in obedience? Yes, but the righteousness of God was credited to him because of his faith, his belief, not because of his obedience. And so Abraham, the forefather, the patriarch of all the Jews, he became part of this family because of faith, not because of obedience. And so see that if he's the one who had faith that was counted as righteousness, that was not his own righteousness, it was given freely from God. Why would you think that any of us need a righteousness of our own? Righteousness comes from God. It is given to us and it's counted our own because of faith, just belief. It was not his own righteousness. It's righteousness given because of faith. Um, this is this a um, fancy term, but this is really important for us to understand. This is called justification. The word justification is a, is a big theology term that's really crucial to our faith. Excuse me. So his, um, his justification, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible will define it as this. Justification is the act of God in bringing sinners into a new covenant relationship with himself through the forgiveness of sins. It is a declarative act of God by which he establishes persons as righteous, that is, in right and true relationship to himself. Do you experience a right and true relationship with God? If you do, that is because of faith, not obedience. And in that faith, what happens is you have this credited or transactional relationship there where the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God himself is placed into your account. And so, follower of Christ, do you still struggle? Do you still stumble? Do you fall prey to sin daily in your life? Even we who are trying to do what is good and right, do you find yourself stumbling into sin? My hand's up. And if your hand's not up, Um, Scripture has some pretty hard words. It says, you make God a liar. (laughs) We are. like we're, We're stumbling saints, so to speak. We're saints because we are righteous in the sight of God, and yet we're stumbling sinners. We're broken. We're still in this flesh that falls prey to sin. And so if, like, how do I make sense of this? Like, the Bible says that I am righteous. God has given me his righteousness, and yet I still fall in sin. How do I make sense of that? It's because of justification that God declares you right before him. Not that you have earned it, not that you have a righteousness of your own, that you're no longer sinning. It's that the righteousness of God has been credited to you. So when God the Father sees Kevin, his son, he sees him as son. That when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, that on the day of judgment, and God the Father calls out and says, how do you plead, Kevin? And I think back, <laughs> I've jacked up so much. I have failed in everything that mattered to me and mattered to you. I am wretched, I am broken, and all I can say is I bank on your mercy because of your son, Jesus. And so Jesus is my one defense. He is my righteousness, and the Father will smile. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It was never your own righteousness that made you delightful to me. It was my own And I delight in you. I genuinely delight in you because of what I have done. And now you get to live out of that favor, not for that favor. So you're free. But it's not my own. I don't earn this. You don't earn this. It is given freely because of faith that you just believe the message that you have heard. So, if the father of all Jews would agree with Paul, how can the Judaizers disagree? The promise to Abraham was that all the nations would be blessed through him. And now Paul's like, hey, there's a bunch of Gentiles here and there's some Jews trying to say like, hey, you gotta actually enter into the Jewish family if you really wanna be part of the people of God. Like, well listen, the forefather of all of us, Abraham, he received this promise from God that he believed that he actually would have descendants that would become a nation that would be a blessing to all the nations. Look, this is it playing out. Like, the blessing is to all nations and it's just this gospel of grace. You don't earn this. It comes freely. And so, bottom line, gaze continually on the gospel. Always keep your eyes on the gospel. See the beauty of this faith that that is just a response to this message we've heard, that it's grace, it's good news. God loves us in spite of us. I can't earn his favor. And so live out of his favor, not for his favor. Don't let people add to the the entry requirements of being the family of God. The only requirement is faith. You just believe the message you've heard, and it's news. Like, you turn on the news, and like we have this whole thing about fake news now. Like, I don't know what I can trust. It's insane. Like No one's doubting the fact that there's a lot of misinformation. It's like, we just have to figure out, like, what's actually true, what's not true. But when it's true news, it's still true news even if you don't believe it. And that is the gospel. This is true. And so the onus is now on you. Do you believe it? Will you believe this message? Or will you live in such a way that you think I've got to somehow do this? I've got I to do this. White knuckle it. I've got to figure this out. And the freedom of the gospel is Christ has already done it for you. And grace and love for you, he died. And it was a joy for him to do that. He loves you. He really does delight over you. So you don't have to live your life under the bondage of thinking, Oh, I disappointed you today, didn't I, God? No. He died knowing it all. He loves you. He's saying, Now live out of that delight. Live out of that favor. Not for it. Don't let people add to the gospel. Just enjoy it. Gaze continually on the gospel. That's what saves us, and it's also what grows us. So, as you struggle, having the righteousness of God credited as your own by faith, and you see your life day to day, I, f- I fall, I fail in this way and that way. The answer is always to look at the gospel, gaze on it. How do we grow as Christians? How do we overcome our sin struggles? You see the gospel, you see Christ crucified publicly dying in love for us. It's the same way that we began, that we will continue and we will finish. You see and you savor the gospel. So do you have a problem with sexual sin? I'm pretty excited about, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is. Everyone I've talked to so far is just like, yeah, I don't know, which is just making me think like, this is why we're doing this. But there's a, there's a book coming out in just a few days um, called The Death of Porn, that even if I have to personally buy it, I think I'm gonna buy a couple copies for every guy in our church because we have to lead the way in putting an end to this insanity. Do you know how unjust it is that we would objectify someone to be just our momentary, fleeting pleasure? Someone made in the image of God. I think we can control that and subject that to violence and all kinds of insanity. I know. You know, with, with quarantine last year, with COVID coming about, um, the, the porn industry has seen a major boom. They're profiting like crazy off of this. The, the traffic volume going to porn sites went through the roof with quarantine. And I think, oh, that makes sense. A lot of people, and ladies, you're not off the hook either. It's, it's both genders. But the, the volume of traffic going to porn sites went through the roof with quarantine. Like, okay, well, yeah, a lot of people isolated and alone, more free time, they're gonna do this little indulgence thing. Hey, you could you could see that, and, and that's probably true for some of it, that it's just convenience. But you know what's actually behind a lot of it? And I've talked with I don't know how many guys now struggling with this, it's intimacy. As you're cut off from community, and more isolated than ever, and struggling for intimacy, and so many guys, we go back through, like, what is actually behind this struggle? It's not just sexual deviance. It's a desire to really be known. It's a desire for something deeper, a connection. And then you separate, you sever so many connections in your life, and what do you turn to? Oh, this thing that gives me this false sense of intimacy and always leaves me feeling awful and empty. So what's the answer? What do you do with your sin struggle? You see Christ crucified. You see that he's actually more beautiful than anybody. And I mean that as a physical body. He is more glorious than any sexual climax you could ever imagine. He is more satisfying. You see his crucifixion. You see his death, his love displayed on a cross for you. That he knows you. This is real intimacy. That I know you and I love you. That is how you overcome this sin. As you see the cross, you see the gospel, you keep your eyes on that. You have anger problems, anxiety problems that make you do insane things. What is the answer? You see Christ crucified. You see that he has every power, all authority and heaven and earth has been given to him. He has it all and it can drive out all the fear. He can provide for every need. He owns it all. In perfect love, love for you, it drives out fear. So you see Christ crucified. What am I anxious about? My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm worried about paying my bills? <laughs> this is crazy. He loves me. You see it on the cross. You feel like you're constantly disappointing God. You're failing to measure up. Like, what does a life look like that's pleasing to God? Oh, not my life. And what do you need? You need to see Christ crucified. He was willing. He saw the joy set before him and he knew everything that was to come on the cross, despising it, scorning the sorrow, what was to come on that. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured because he knew you and he died saying it is finished. That means every sin, every failure, all of it. He died knowing every bit of it and it was a joy for him to do that because he loves you. And now, don't live your life wondering, did I disappoint you today, God? No, you live out of the favor of God, that he loves you, he gave this freely, stop trying to earn it, you cannot earn it. Every sin struggle, what do we do? We always grow in light of the gospel. The spirit is at work in us, and the spirit is always working in the gospel to remind us of what God has historically done, whether you like it, believe it or not. He did this, it's true. So we live in light of it, believing the message is that the root of all sins is some idol or another. But every idol really finds its being in the fact that something or someone is being worshiped in the place of God. And what's gonna correct that? Is Seeing Christ crucified. A God that is truly worthy of all of our affection, all of our adoration. He is glorious. So see Christ crucified. See the gospel and this will correct it. I wanna close with a story from John chapter nine. There's a, there's a man who was born blind and some of his disciples, they apparently encounter him and they're like, hey, Jesus, like, we've had this kind of age-old question. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Was this like this whole foreknowledge of God thing, like God knew he's gonna be a jacked up dude so you're not gonna have sight? Or was it that his parents were jacked up? And because of that, like, Bad parents. You get a blind kid. Like, wow, what an awful way to view God. And Jesus like, neither, neither. He was born this way, actually, so that the works of God could be displayed in him. And I go, what? He's like, watch this. Jesus starts spitting on some dirt. I like, go, oh, that's, that's weird. What are you doing? And he's like, oh yeah, watch this. He takes it and starts rubbing it in the guy's eyes. Like, it's a good thing he's blind, because if he knew what you were doing. <laughs> and she's like hey go go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll receive your sight and the guy does you imagine like spit and dirt in his eyes it's like oh, i've never been able to see but i got this weird stuff caked in my eyes <laughs> washes it out and i'm like i can see so he's taken off and like all these people are like wait we isn't that the guy who's been blind his whole life nobody's guiding him how's he doing that he's going to trip he's going to trip he didn't trip what what is this like, yeah that was me so this whole back and forth begins. Like, they find the guy's parents and like, tell us, is this your son that was born blind? What's the deal? And they're like, oh, you know, and, like, and it's the, the religious elite, the leaders of the, of, the, um, of the, goodness, I'm blanking on words, I'm so awful. <laughs> but yeah, it's the Pharisees, but they're, they're at the local synagogue, that's the word I'm looking for. They're at the local synagogue, and the leaders of the synagogue are like, hey, like, with all of our authority, don't you lie to us. Is that your son? Like, yeah, but like they can feel there's some there's some tension here. They don't like the religious leaders don't like what Jesus is doing. And so like the, the parents are like, he's of age, ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Throw their son under the bus, like, ask him. And so they come to the boy who's who's he's a man now, and he's received a sight, and they're like, tell us. Like, listen, we know that guy who healed you, he's a sinner. So tell us the truth. Like with the threat of excommunication that they could be kicked out of the synagogue. Like, where you go for all of your religious practice, like, you're gonna be kicked by the people of God. Tell us the truth. We know he's a sinner. What what happened here? Tell us what happened. You know what the guy says? (laughs) He says, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. This is what's happening in Galatia. You have these religious elites, like, we know the law. We've always been part of the people of God. Oh, well, it's great that you have this breakthrough. Like, you understand the gospel, but you actually need to know this. And like, if you don't know this, then you're not actually part of us. There's the threat of excommunication. They're like, if you really want to be part of us, you got to know this. And so you imagine these Gentiles, like, we did not grow up memorizing the entire Torah. These guys, like, they know things we don't know. And they're saying, we've got to know this. And I was, no, 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 no. What do you know? One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. This is what I know. You have that story, beloved. You have that story, that you have had your eyes open to see the beauty and grandeur of God in his gospel, that Christ was crucified in love for you, to die for you, so you could have the very righteousness of God. This is your story. This is my story. That we may not know a lot of things, but you still can go tell the world, this is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. So will you go tell people? Will you share this gospel? Go, tell your friends, tell your neighbors about this God who loves us so. Tell them, I, I don't know it all, man. But this is what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. This is incredible. Wow. Uh, we were in the Keys this past weekend. And uh, we, uh, at one point in the afternoon, um, some some of the ladies, in particular, wanted to just go do some sightseeing. I'm like, we're all about catching lobster, but you know what, we'll, we'll accommodate you, like we're gonna go see the pretty reef. <laughs> and so we go out to the reef and there's a shipwreck, like massive shipwreck. And so it's been there a while, like it's, it's grown and all this stuff. And, and Leland, my son, makes this comment because his grandparents paid for him to enter into karate. And so um, we had to order his uniform and we had to tell him, like, it's going to be a while, it's being shipped over. And so you know how his brain works. He's seven. He's like, it's being shipped over. This is a shipwreck. And so he gets out of the water and he's like, do you think my uniform made it? <laughs> you don't think it was on that boat, right? <laughs> right? But like, that thing has been down there for a while. <laughs> it's, like, broken up all over, strewn across acres and acres, and it's, like, covered in coral, and It's beautiful. And I think, like, that's so often how we view our life. Like, when we make shipwreck of our faith, like, oh, I failed today. And all we can see is, like, oh, did that disqualify it? Oh, I, 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 gotta, I gotta get this together. And we forget the fact that, like, isn't that what makes this so beautiful? It's not your perfection. It's not your obedience. It's, in fact, it's this redemptive God who took everything that was broken in you and said, I'm actually gonna make something beautiful here. Watch the coral come to life and bring in these beautiful fish and all of this to where now you look at it and you're like, wow. Do we look at it and think like, what a beautiful shipwreck because that captain jacked up. Like, no. You look at the power beyond that and all of that wreck is just pointing to a power beyond it. So can you do that with your life? Like all of my failure and all of that, what do I need to do in response to all of it? I just need to look and see Christ crucified see that he can make something beautiful of all of this, and he will. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that your gospel is so beautiful. So let us forever be a church that is enamored with it, because as you, you are at the center of all of this. Jesus, thank you for your obedience your willingness to suffer and to die for people like us. Thank you, Father, that it was your will that you decreed that this would come about because you love this world. And Spirit, thank you that you would be the one to come in power and change our hearts and open our eyes to see how I love you. Would you bless this church? Help us to gaze constantly on your gospel.